Hello and welcome. You are now listening to The Junk and Jam Hour, a live talk radio broadcast, a full 60 minutes of laughs, fun, and money. Well, maybe not money, but do take pleasure in the fact that you'll be getting to know someone new, like an artist, a musician, an author, or perhaps a silly clown. That's got to be worth something. Am I right? This is The Junk and Jan Hour, only on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now for your on-air host, Silly Clown, Christopher Albert. Hello there, everyone. You are listening to The Junk and Jam Hour right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Radio Free Brooklyn is the nonprofit community organization and freeform internet radio station. Streaming original content by New York City artists and broadcasters, DJs, right here, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It is Radio Free Brooklyn's goal, of course, to empower and amplify the otherwise unheard voices within our communities. And on the Junker Jam Hour, it is my objective to share and highlight the artistic and creative journeys behind the impressive projects and contributions from some of today's most talented underground and groundbreaking artists and entrepreneurs. Uh, my very special guest calling in, of course, is a Mount Vernon, New York native, who studied voice and violin at the White Plains Conservatory of Music and Local Creative Arts programs and graduated with a BA from Concordia College, all on a music scholarship that she proudly earned. From there, she was quickly inaugurated into the music industry by working with local Mount Vernon music moguls, hip-hop icon Heavy D and Dave Hall. You remember them, right? Uptown Records. She would go on to forge her own path as not just a recording artist, but a singer-songwriter who also caught the bug of music production, recording, and engineering. Now she finds herself collaborating on projects uh, she has found herself, excuse me, collaborating on projects with Universal, Sony, and Crave Records. We remember you, Allure, as a soul, pop, gospel, and R&B vocalist. She has become one of Westchester's most revered performing and recording artists, known for her smooth and sultry style, her enduring sound, and her high-energy showcases at the once-legendary B.B. King Blues Club and The Cutting Room, as well as her soulful R&B tribute shows with the Napper Time Band, ever. The gracious artist, she has also become one of the industry's most sought-after vocal coaches with clients and students, ranging from Broadway stars to American Idol contestants, and has even worked with R&B voices Dave Hollister, Case, and Yvette Michelle. She has even created her own vocal program entitled Ready to Sing, distributed by iTunes and Amazon. This unique vocal system provides voice lessons and exercises that help singers of all stages continue to learn, practice, and improve their singing technique. As a testament to her talents, she was invited to perform at last year's In Celebration of the Arts event, honoring award-winning actress and director Felicia Vashad while still dedicating her time and voice to various church choirs. Joining us now via call-in, is singer, songwriter, producer, soul pop gospel and R&B vocalist, entertainer, showstopper, and creator and founder of vocal training program, Ready to Sing, Miss Eve Soto. Hello there, Eve. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you got, you know, like 25 years. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Doing show today. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, thank you so much for, for calling in and, and to share some of your insights and, of course, your journey. Um, we love having the platform to share. Now, of course, you are a Mount Vernon, New York native. Yes, I am. Mount Vernon. So, but now you studied, uh, you obviously always were involved in music. You studied voice and violin at the White Plains Conservatory of Music. Yes, I did. Voice was actually an accident. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up. I grew up around singers. Yeah. My father was a minister of music at uh, churches, and he was very dynamic as a, a, a musician. And my grandmother was a famous opera singer. Oh yes. Uh, she was the second opera singer after Marian Anderson to feature at Carnegie Hall. Wow. Yes, Juanita Barnes. So. Uh, 
1959, yes, my grandmother did uh, was the second African American to feature uh, as an opera singer at Carnegie Hall. That so is, I, I was singing was something that I just did. I didn't. Uh, I didn't plan to be a singer. I, w- I wanted to be in an orchestra playing, you know, the violin. Yeah. I mean, I mean, both are, are, I mean, they're still instruments of music, right? Absolutely. And, and the, the, you know, I learned music on the violin. That's where I actually learned music. That's how you, and that's it, how you uh, exercised your ear then? My ear, my, my music development, being able to read music came from uh, the violin. And, you know, when you're a kid and you play an instrument, they always throw you into these other programs. Sure. So, you know, singing was something that I was like, oh, okay, I can handle that. You know, it comes right before lunch, so that's cool. I can, <laughs> I can do that. I got this. But now the violin is like the smallest, uh, I believe the highest pitched instrument, at least in the string family. It's And bowed instruments are, are thought of as, as one of the most challenging to learn. I mean, what was that initial interest that got you to be like, oh, I want to play the violin? Oh, I want to play the violin. Uh, well, I was in fifth grade, and the music teacher came into my sixth grade class one day and said, who wants to learn to play the violin? <laughs> that easy. <laughs> and, and, I, and, and the teacher said, if you want to play the violin, you get to leave class for two hours oh, each week. I was like, okay, I'm Some incentives there. That's how it started, but I grew to love it. I grew uh, to love it, but it was, you know, it was just a way of getting out of class one day and it became a, a big part of my, my life. Yes. So like you said, my journey, yes. But so, that's how it started. I love that. So so your father, and, and, and obviously you come from a very musical, a high level of music in the family. But even still, like, you know, you're, you're getting into music at the young age. Were your parents excited or anxious about where you would take music? <laughs> my parents were... But my, mainly my father's side was very musical. Yeah. And they, when I was little, they were all busy touring, you know, doing a Apollo. Oh, so they, and, yeah. You know, doing their thing. So they didn't even really know I had a talent until I was uh, almost an adult. And it was taken for granted. You know, a musical mm. talent, you, when you went to the picnic, you better do something. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, That's you right. Know, you better do some backflips or set yourself on fire. You, you <laughs> everybody, you everybody gets a five minute. If you don't do it, to perform for the family, you don't eat. <laughs> That's right. You got to earn it. <laughs> you got to earn it. You better. They. That's how they work with with the shows. And um, you know, when I was growing up, you know, you better you better sing. <laughs> so you had so so in your household then at any point were not just you know your parents but other band members. No, I grew up an only child. Oh, and and my father was military, really, and my mother was a, a an educator. So they were more about education. They did not steer me towards uh, music. Got it. Music was a, it was it was that was a, just for touring then. That was just outside of the home. It was just assumed, you know. It was a it was a natural thing. It wasn't considered a career choice, right? Even though they all, you know, did do things, dabbled in the music industry. But okay. um, it was Edu- education not- and faith were still the yes. pillar of of the household, and that informed what the music could be. Right. So, so now after graduating, um, you started building legs in the music industry you started working with heavy d and dave hall how did that happen well you know just being from mount vernon you know yeah heavy, yeah heavy was very you know connected to the community yes and i used to carry his crates just so i could get into the club you know i grew up on a block full of girls <laughs> i love that he had an entourage and we you know we all knew each other so I was too young to get into the club. Yeah. But um, some of my girlfriends were dating people in his, his entourage. Sure. So the only way I could get in the club was if I carried some of his crates. I love that. Being resourceful. <laughs> yeah. That's how we got into the opera. That's <laughs> how you do was, it, guys. Yeah. That was his big, big spot. He was very popular. And he just, you know, he did his thing. So he, he helped me um, uh, also get my first uh, record deal record situation that's awesome that's obviously eventually he went to go on to also work with the other late andre harrell yes 
Now, other than vocal instruction, you know, part of your life's work and career has been dedicated not just making music, but hosting and delivering these outstanding live showcases and events. I want to talk about this because obviously as a musician and just as an artist, right, especially at this time. But I want to go back because after 18 years and over 6,000 shows, B.B. King Blues Club and Grill closed its doors, right? What is it? Uh, in 2018. Uh, was host to notable performances that included James Brown, Ray Charles, Etta James, ZZ Top, Jay-Z, uh, Al Green, B.B. King, of course, and of course, Eve Soto. Hello, guys. <laughs> hey. So, but, hey. so, but you had a running resident residency there? Yes, I did. It was, it was a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Six years. They said I was the longest running no name. <laughs> well, that's an honor that's an honor right right that's an honor in itself right <laughs> well of course when we mean by by no name you're 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 known within the industry but not known to audiences at least on a wide scale right you know what i don't even think about that right <laughs> you, you shouldn't know, whatever y'all want to call it it is it is what it is but I guess no name meaning I wasn't re- I wasn't I'm not recognized. Yeah, you're not Aretha Franklin. Record artist. Yeah, like all the other names. I'm not on that. Yeah, you know, on that scale. But what? How has? I mean, that that must have been a big loss for you, right? How has that affected you? How is? I look at it as is. It was a wonderful big. It was a wonderful part of my journey. Yeah. And I don't look back at it as That's right. And and um sadness i'm just so grateful because i use the opportunity not just for myself but to help all many of my students that's right that's right come with me yeah so that they could say that they performed at bb king that was more valuable to me than anything it was the way i used it yes uh, and and it, it played a part in my longevity there where i always did new shows i always produced new shows but every show had new young artists that were trying to you know, be seen and heard in the industry. Yeah. So I wanted to give them the opportunity to say, hey, I performed the BBK. Yeah, that, so, yeah. I was, even my agent used to, you know, pull me in the office sometimes and say, you know, when you do your next show, you think you can sing? It's a good show. It's always a great show. Well put together show. And I had a wonderful support yeah. team, you know, my band members, Dan, uh, Debbie Knapper, Shinya Miyamoto, um, Gooding Jr., uh, uh, Dave Jones, and uh, of course, the, the, he's, he's rest in peace, uh, my music director, Wayne Holmes. And I worked with some wonderful people that actually taught me, you know, how to produce a show yeah. and maintain it. And B.B. King's loved it, and they just kept me, and I just kept doing what I was doing. And, and, and I went down with the ship. And, <laughs> and that's and that's how you do it right you share yeah, the platform you know you share you have something it, it, it's a gift in itself and you found a way to also share that gift with others and um you also as you just mentioned you shared it with the napper time band well they were my support they were my backbone love it uh, like i said Red napper and uh, the napper time players they they are they are the industry. They have played with the Mariah Carey's and the Cameos. Yeah. And, you know, they, they went on tour. And when I came onto the scene, they they created this, um, you know, this band just for me. Um, Amazing. They stayed with me the whole time. Amazing. So, but now, fast forward, we're, we're two years later. Many of us in the arts and entertainment have lost access to a significant amount of what, you know, whether, you know, income, particularly because of the unrelenting rise of the COVID cases in and around the U.S., what would you say to those who feel, if you have an opinion at all, that it is not their responsibility to care or be concerned as long as it doesn't affect them or the people they know and love? Because obviously this has affected many people in the arts and we can't get back to what we were doing until it's under some form of control. Okay, am I talking to the artists or am I talking to the consumers? To whoever you like. (laughs) You know, I've heard some, I'm not going to take this, but I've heard people say, I even heard an individual say, you know, when the world shut down, you know, it was a wonderful, everybody's 
you know, going, you know, doing what they're doing emotionally and going through yeah. the changes yeah. of, of the reality of what's going on around them. And of course, my condolences to all of those who have lost family members. Absolutely. And close to them. There's no comparison. None. But I've heard people say things like, you know, for people that are creative, for the artists, this can be a great time. For yes. Them. Yes. You know, if you can, if, if you can find a little bit of sunshine around what's going on and around you, you know, this is a time to, to create, yeah. you know, because we will be back. We have to be back. Yeah. And, and of course, that sunshine is that we're still here. We're still breathing, thankfully. That you're, that not just we are, but you are still here. Yeah. You're still here. So your responsibility is to bring that light. You know, I see what, I, what I'm doing right now. And I, t- and I would like to, you know, encourage other artists to do the same thing. You have to reinvent. Yeah. Don't be afraid to reinvent. I have had to re- totally reinvent my business. As a, as a musician and as a, as a music teacher and just turn it into something else and it's and it's working yeah and you have to be willing to do that but most artists kind of know that yes but they like to hear it they like the they, artists love encouragement and reinforcement <laughs> <laughs> reminding them of how special they are yes that you are the light in the in this dark time that's right we have to hold each other's hands every now and then right. that is your responsibility as an artist to keep shining yeah you know, we want to shine when everything is okay no you have to keep, keep shining, shining for those who need it yeah. If you don't believe it, think of all the performers that were out there overseas performing for the military, performing for, you know, people who were in at, at wartime. Yeah. Yeah. They were, the light. They, they were the light and the bright, you know, something to look forward to for these people that were in the middle of warfare. And, and even when we think about music or anything creative, but particularly music, because it, it can be so affecting emotionally. That I think that, and I know for me, it, it, it's a drive for me to create because when, when not that anybody is sitting around waiting for me to do or create something, but it's still a good motivator for me to know that somebody could get something out of it. Absolutely. Yeah, at the end somebody of the day. Somebody is going to get something out of it. Somebody needs you. Somebody needs to hear you. Somebody, somebody loves you, baby. So, <laughs> so Eve, <laughs> well, I toured, I used to be a touring member of the New York Boys Choir. I want to share some of your music, if, if you don't mind, but I want to talk first because I know you have, uh, you, know, you know, you're not, as you say, you're not just the one woman show, right? Eve Soto, you, you've been a longtime collaborator with many people, but specifically with producer Joe Wise of Indigo Child Record Producing and Publishing. He is my backbone, Joe Wise. Yeah. My producer, videographer, consultant. He's my engineer. He's also my engineer. Yeah. I'm an engineer, but he is, he engineers when, when I need to record. Yeah. And he produces all of the material that I've actually released. And, and that wasn't just an accident, right? I mean, how did you find, how did this relationship find you? When I used to, um, when I used to engineer, you know, on a day-to-day, you know, in a studio-type setting yeah. in the late 90s, yeah. I actually worked with so many producers. I was introduced to a lot of producers, even like the Dave Halls and the, um, the um, Dave Centron, mm-hmm. and, you know, Soul Diggers, a lot of famous producers and a lot of just really good producers. But it was just really difficult to find one um that you could really work with and and artists know the value in that in the chemistry and yes there's a lot yes. of famous teams like jimmy janet that's Lewis. right long time yeah. collaborators with janet right exactly yeah. and uh, missy elliott and timbaland yes and, uh, elton john and tim rice you know right so, right right it, when you find a producer engineer videographer or whatever it is in the industry that you work really well with and they just kind of get you yeah. But at the same time, they surprise you and you can kind of feed off of each other's talent. You kind of just stick with that. Yes, know? yes. And, uh, that's, that was, that was my, my decision at that time because in my years in the music industry, I came in at a time where it just kept changing. 
Yeah. It just kept changing. You didn't know what the labels wanted. They didn't know what they wanted. <laughs> right. And it just kept dictating to people what to do. So we just decided just to just do the music, do our sound, and you keep doing your thing and do all your other stuff, then, you know, some people want to hear it. Yes, we do want to hear it, by the way. So we are going to play... Uh, one of your songs. This is Eve Soto, by the way, guys. This is I Want to Be Yours, lyrics uh, by Eve Soto, music by Joe Wise. And uh, we'll be right back. You guys are listening to DJ Joker Jam Hour right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Baby, your love is right on time. And I want it. Mm. You bring me a piece that I thought be mine Can I have it? I need it Know that I know you want me to I see Know that I know you want me to I want your love
I wanna be yours. You are listening to the Junkie Jam Hour right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Eve Soto with I Wanna Be Yours. Hello, Eve. <laughs> hey. We we'll wow. love it. Thank you. You are giving me all the feels. You are giving me Karen Clark. You're giving me Jill Scott, Sade, Faith Evans, Kelly Price. I love it. Wow. <laughs> all my favorites. <laughs> Get in line. Don't even ask me who inspires me. You just said them all. Yes. <laughs> I do. We do love them all. And shout out to Brandy for, for um, and Beyonce for their new projects. I really, I mean, first of all, my husband found you because we're always looking for new vocal exercises and he just fell in love with your exercises and, and just for many different reasons. And, and, and obviously he knows what my, what I like. <laughs> so you were just like uh, this random gift that just kept giving and, and we love doing your vocal exercises. So thank you for putting out that out there, but we'll talk about that. Um but I want to talk about you still as a singer. I mean, you have such an exuberant personality. How would you describe yourself as a performing musician? And does the woman on that stage differ in any way from the woman at home? Wow. Okay. Let me get this right. Uh, <laughs> how, would myself, how would I describe myself as a performer? Is that what you asked me, Chris? Yeah, just as a musician, as a performer, you know, you're your own artist, you have your own brand. You know what? I would describe myself as a learning machine. Ah. I'm a learning machine, meaning I didn't come up, I mean, I learned so many things from being in the industry, and but everything I learned, I taught. Yes. And that's why people call me like an industry vocal coach. I really do a lot of training to help to help artists you know go further than i even really wanted to as far as a recording artist yeah um my i always got most of my inspiration from teaching but you know how they say oh don't do those you know that kind of thing so i felt it was important for me to do as well as teach right right but teaching was always my priority and I, I try to teach or I try to be, if I were to describe myself on, on stage, it's just really, it's just that, it's not even a, let me see, I would describe myself as just being as in the moment, right. dynamic, so focused on giving, giving to the audience. Yes, I, I, I know. Never saw any, yeah, I, I never saw any of my singing opportunities as a way of showing myself. It's not just I a showcase. This is just about you can do this too. Right. Giving. 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 Yeah, because one of your principles is to, in speaking of giving, is to feel the music, right? You don't you don't just sing like you're reading, but sing like you mean it. <laughs> sing it the way you would say it. Yeah. Why is giving so much of yourself, being that vulnerable, why is that important for a singer to do? Is it... Are you not just, are you just trying to fully translate the text into an emotion? You want to affect the listener? Why is that so important for singers to be that vulnerable when they are performing? Because that's what, first of all, that's what people want. Yeah. You know, if they yeah. just want to hear you sing, they can listen to a recording. But even in your recording, that vulnerability has to come out. Yes. Otherwise, you're not going to pull it out of them. Yeah. You're not going to pull it out of them. And to sing with, you know, to sing with that type of dynamic is what is the draw. Mm -hmm. And that's more, that lasts longer. That's more, that has more longevity. Like, I'd rather somebody come up to me and say, you know, even in church, if somebody came up to me and say, oh, you can sing. I'd be like, so? So what? You know? How did it make you feel? <laughs> that, oh, my God. Eve, I needed to hear that song and yes. today, girl. Yeah. That really reached me. That's gonna help me get through the week, and I'm good. So, me, the way I use my talent, it's not completely altruistic. The whole giving, giving thing is not altruistic. I feel good when I can make people feel good. It's and joyful. It yeah. Longer. Yes. Yeah. It lasts much longer. Yeah, I, I love that. It, so, but now you know. It, 
you're obviously very influenced your R&B, your soul, you you know, you also influenced rock and roll, pop. You are gifted. You're also gifted in the vocal performance of gospel, right? We've we've seen the videos. <laughs> okay, thank you. What makes devotional singing in your opinion so different or rewarding than the other genres well you know that's where that's where a lot of us start yeah my family they were gospel singers and you know when you're learning to sing you're also learning its connection to the word and the word is the what your word your religion your faith is what when you learn about love yeah when you learn about you know the you know the different types of love that you know they they describe in the Bible, but that's where you first learn about love and obedience, compassion, and it came with the music. Yes, and joy. Yes, oh, yeah. right, right. It came. It, they went together. Even you know, as a child, even learning that the sermon had to be connected to the music had to be connected to the sermon. Yeah. So it's just an extension of your faith, you know. So the whole thing about singing with feeling and devotion. First, you learn it in church. You learn your devotion to God, you know, uh, or your whatever your faith. But and then you're able to carry that over into the other genres. Yes. And yes. that's what a lot of singers, uh, you know, they. That's why a lot of them they are able to relate to the audience and the crowd. If you look back in Brandy's and Saints and Beyonce's and yeah. you know. Goddess, like if you look back in their history and their recent findings, of course, they grew up in the church. Yes. And yep. that is the connection. Yeah. Singing with love, singing, understanding that your voice is just a tool. It is not about your voice. That's one of the first things they teach you. You yeah. know, when you learn it's about the anointing. It is about the anointing. Yeah. It is about the delivery. It I is not that. about how dare you regardless of what some people felt or thought how dare you come into church and feel like it's all about your singing yeah right because it's not it's about what you're singing it's about what you're singing yeah and that's what you that is the connection and that's why so many artists who grew up in the church were able to take that with them and to have successful uh, performing careers yeah yeah we love that this is this is you this is all encompassing this is everything you bring I don't want to say bring to the table. This is all the pieces of Eve Soto's puzzle. <laughs> you take all of this and then you I have... I not this puzzle yet, though. This puzzle isn't done. No, no. <laughs> so far. Part of right. part of what is encompassing of Eve so far. And, and now we, we get to ready to sing, as I would describe, an original suite of vocal exercises and vocal training program by you, of course, uh, at the Mount Vernon Performing Arts Studio. Yeah, and, and I know we spoke. You know, you, you spoke about it having that purpose in your life of of you know being a teacher, being an instructor, which could go lots of ways, obviously. And, and obviously, you're gifted in 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 musicianship and in vocals, right? But when did you really decide? Okay, you knew it was come. You knew that this is what you wanted to do. But when did you say, okay, I'm going to start really just aiding in the development of other singers? The moment I started singing. <laughs> right, because this is why you um, performed, right? Yeah, it started as... I was in school, you know, I was in Concordia, I was focusing on the violin, mm-hmm. and I was uh, I went to, to school also for teaching. And, you know, I went to school to acquire, you know, um, a teaching career, and even working in the psychology, <laughs> you know, I didn't see a music career. Um, but two friends of mine, um, and again, from Mount Vernon, at a time when Heavy and Albie Shore and yes. Dave Hall, they were all coming up. A friend of mine came to me and said, I know you sing, I know you're musical, because uh, you did everything in school that had to do with music. Yes. So we want to put together a group because we want to, we want to take a, a demo to a Heavy D so Heavy can get us connected to a record label. I said, for what? And then, and then he had to break it down to me about what a recording career could be like. I was like, 
okay, well, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to teach us how to sing. I said, I don't know how to teach you how to sing. I don't yeah. know anything about that. Yeah. Well, we know that you sing and we don't. But if we form this group, maybe we can get a record deal. Yeah. I said, okay, fine. So we had rehearsals every week. Yeah. And I found myself trying to get them to do certain things that I took for granted vocally. So I was teaching them. Well, vocally. not only take it for granted, but obviously you didn't know how to articulate it yet until you started teaching. Right. I didn't yeah. know how to articulate it yet. So I was helping them with their singing. And then they, we wrote, I wrote a song. And the next thing I knew, I got a keyboard. Love and it. I had, you know, produced music, you know, because we wanted deadline. I was like, okay, <laughs> you want to do something What do we got to do? So I just did it. And the next thing I knew, we were at the record label. Yeah. Yeah. And the story had a crazy turn, though. But, um, that's how it started. That's a, that's another another story for another time. <laughs> right. That's so, how it started, and they they were the beginning of me learning about the industry. Yes, and, and, and so moment, I knew. and yeah. so you yourself, you you know, you're a gifted singer, and you say you took it for granted because you know not many people know. Just like anything else, it takes work to craft. Even if you're already a naturally good singer you want to be great you still have to keep it exercise you know there's and, and you know not, and still people don't know you know what it takes the, you know obviously your job is to make it look easy right but but there's breathing you teach in ready to sing you teach breathing you know breath control pitch resonance there's sustenance there's you know dynamics there's head chest and lower registers of your voice and and some people don't have vibrato yet or you know it, there's just so many things that go into singing can you describe what the core is for ready to sing? You know, if you had to, if you had to give us an elevator pitch. <laughs> an elevator pitch. Ready to sing is learning not just the techniques, but doing them with music, so you can actually feel and hear what you sound like using these techniques. Yes. Yes. Okay. But it is the, the core, te- it's understanding what the basic techniques are. And you just mentioned them all. The the breathing, the range, the pitch, uh, the resonance, and uh, the note placement with the registers. These yeah. are basic. And a lot of people don't have confidence because they don't know what they're doing. Even if they sound good. Right, of right. Because lack of knowledge yeah. they don't know how to be consistent yeah so when you learn about these techniques then you can say oh i got it i get it now i hear it yeah and when you hear your favorite singers using it you're like eve was right okay. eve was right <laughs> I hear it. I hear it. and then when they do my exercises that are put to music they can actually say oh you know i get it yeah. Because I did those vocal exercises with the teachers. That's right. It's like, how do I go from that to some people want it all? I don't get the connection. I don't yeah. get it. There's no yeah. connection between that. So the exercises with music were about connecting the technique to the actual, actual music. Yes, I love that. And and what are some of the, and obviously you, you, you have people of all different levels. What are some of the misconceptions, though, that, about singing that you might have to dispel for new singers that you find? The misconception is that singing will make you rich. Has to be about the joy. It can't be the brokest feel of choice. But, you know, there's a lot of people like attention. You know, it can bring you a lot of attention, good and bad. Um, so, again, don't do it for attention. Yeah. You know, don't do it to get rich. That's a misconception. Yeah. You know, yeah. you have to sing because you can't see yourself not doing it. You can't imagine your life without it. Yeah. You I, would not be who you are without That's singing. right. Yeah. It, uh, it has to be like a gnawing something you want to dedicate your, your, your time because you are dedicating your time, right? You're investing it. Into the practice, yes. into the craft of, of not just it's vocal not training. Investing. It's like breathing for me. Yeah. Really. It's, it yeah. is life. It is, there is no other, there's nothing, I mean, I'm, there are other things. Of course, there are other things that we want to do in life. But if you sing, you sing because you have to. Because you know it's, there's this little section in your heart or this part of your body that 
if you don't, it's just gonna, it's just wasted. Yeah, your heart is gonna, your heart is breaking without it. Yes, your heart is breaking without it. Sing for that, not for attention or fame or money. And if you do it that way, the, the everything else will, will come the right way. You'll draw the right people. Yeah. You draw the people that are into your singing because you put so much of yourself in it. Yeah. Not because you look good on stage or because you, you're working with this company or because you're working with that company, but because they genuinely want to hear you. And, 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 and they want to hear that you genuinely and sincerely love what you're doing. Right. So now you've, you've instructed, again, singers of all kinds, all levels, and more seasoned vocalists. Why, for the more seasoned vocalists, why is it beneficial for them to continue to work on not just improving, but, you know, just vocal strengthening and training? Because, you know, athletes, obviously, they can never stop training for as long as they are actively competing. Well, when I'm teaching, even when I get the brand new student, I immediately connected to athletes. Yeah, yeah. You have, to, you have to treat singing like you're an athlete. Athlete, yes. You know, uh, that is that is an analogy that I use as a part of my curriculum. No matter where I go, I'm like, this is like being an athlete. And I, and one of the things that reminds singers is that your voice is part of your body. Yes. It is not this external instrument that you can just dust off and polish off and replace its parts. And boom, it's perfect. Yes, it's diet, it's sleep, it's it's meant, it's just your mental, you know, wherever you are, everything is going to affect your voice. Exactly, just like your body. Just, if it affects your body, it's going to affect your voice. Yeah. What is the most challenging things for singers to overcome? Is it stage fright? Is it fear of failure? Is it not knowing their worth? Is it not liking their own voice? All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. Yeah. Those are all, if you had asked me what are the blockages, I would say that fear. Fear yeah. of whatever the fear is. Fear of lack of confidence, lack of, uh, you know, self-worth or um, clarity. Everything that yeah. you said, you know, and, what going to sound like. And when you really love it, you do it despite that. When you really love it, you are constantly doing it. Yeah. And you're constantly surprising yourself, looking for new ways to do what you're doing. Yeah. So it balances out. Like I said, if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you don't really put yourself into the the journey of learning and practicing. We don't. I mean, real singers don't even see practice as practice. They don't see rehearsal as rehearsal. They see it as, oh yeah, we about to we about to sing. That's right. You when you do you, when we do our warm ups. I, I love your warm ups, yeah. by the way. It's we like singing. We're gonna, yeah. You're just they singing. Don't see it as work. You're not supposed to see it as work. Yeah. And that's part of my training. When I really do like a boot camp with an artist or artist development, it's a, the main thing when I really train an artist. Like when I would work with record labels, is to see where their head and their heart. Yeah. It, you, it don't care how good but, but, you but now, But now, Eve, yeah. that's not to say, you know, that record labels haven't just said, oh, we like their look and we want you to train them. That, and that doesn't necessarily mean the artist understands what, you, what, what you're talking about either, you know, whether, you know, they're committed and dedicated to this craft. They just want to be seen. How... How do you have you had any challenges with that in in terms of developing artists who maybe aren't as open to how you instruct? Well, I I haven't had any artists that aren't open to okay. the way I instruct because by the time they get to me, they already know. Who, <laughs> they, they, this is how it's going to go. They already know. Yeah. Or the label has told them you're going to work with this teacher and she's going to, you know, drill you. But by the time they get to me, they're they're expecting something a, a bit more scary. I'm uh, much more lightweight. Uh, yeah. So I have a way of getting the getting it across to them what they have to do. But by the by the time the label brings them to me, the label's got them thinking I'm like a vampire or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the label makes them think like, oh, she's gonna chew you out. No. You know, she's gonna mess you up. She's gonna and then when they discover me, they're like, She is not gonna do that. Because that's supposed you know? to be part of the, not just obviously an encouraging instructor, but helping them to enjoy this process. 
of getting to where they need to be. Understand it. Yeah. Understand it. Understand the process. You can enjoy it if you want. That's for you. <laughs> that's, that's, amazing. that's that's not from the the basic the, the understand. That is dealing with the record label artist, the artist that's really serious. It's like this is the process. You got to make up your mind if you're going to do it or not. But this is the process. Yeah. I love that. Any advice to any advice? any advice to those artists, you know, who have been performing, touring, producing, you know, indie artists recording music for whatever X amount of years, but they're still striving to break through, hoping maybe for that big break. I know you say don't do it for that reason, but I'm sure people ask you, how do they continue going on when maybe that is one of their goals? Okay, and if they get that far, if they get to that point, then they've already proven to themselves that they love it. Okay, yeah, yeah. But basically, sometimes you're right. You can get to a certain point in the industry where there's so many other variables around it that can take away your love for it mm. and your your drive for it or your motivation for it. But most importantly, your love for it. Yeah. So. Because I, I honestly did not get to that point where I was touring a lot, and you know, because I always had my schools, yeah. and then I had Band Central, I had other businesses, and I had children. I didn't That's drive right. really to do the tour thing. But I would tell them that your journey is different from everybody else's. Yeah. Yes, and that's right. Your journey. Don't compare your journey that's to right. anybody else's. And one of the first things I usually have artists do is to watch on, um, I, I think it's Netflix, you can watch, They, I think they call them the biographies of certain superstars, certain artists. Yeah. They share their stories, like yeah. Lauren Hills. And, 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 even, and, even recently I watched, listened to the, uh, uh, what's the name, Haddish, her story. When Tiffany, you, yes, we, we always think that, that, that when we see them, oh, that was just overnight. It took a lot of grit. A lot of work, a lot of dedication, a lot of sweat, tears <laughs> to get a lot to of where. Sweat and, tears, and you gotta, you, there's a lot to learn from these, from these movies yes. that tell the stories of these artists. Even the Temptations, you know. Uh, yes. You, you see stories that make you say, when you're watching the movie, 30 minutes into the movie, even as an artist, I have said to myself, see right there, I would have quit. <laughs> the movie, movie wouldn't over 20 minutes. Okay, and then the movie goes on, and then something else happens to that mm-hmm. artist in that group. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, right there, that would have been it for us. Yeah. 45 minutes into the movie, movie would have been over. But they kept going, they kept going, yes. they kept going. And, I mean, you, you, I, the Temptations is in my mind because that's the movie I saw recently, where just to get a meeting, you know, at, at the Motown. Yeah. Okay, the Temptations, they were at the record label like every day. Yeah. Every day from five, you know, all night. But they were very persistent to a point where a lot of artists today would have been like, to hell with this, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Then they were signed to Motown for five years before they yes. came out with a record. Yeah. Who would even do that? Yeah. So, so there's a certain amount of persistence. There's a certain amount of willingness to reinvent yourself. There's a certain amount of truth. You got to be true to yourself and how much you can actually apply. You can be persistent all you want. If you're not given enough, it's not going to come back. Yeah. And sometimes artists make the decision. I'm not willing to do all that. So I'm going to go and do something else. <laughs> right. And and that's when you get, you can make that, uh, that choice for yourself. But right. if you're going to be in it, be in it. Be in it. Be in it to win it. <laughs> to win it, yeah. Um, and, and you just said this. You know, you're a proud mother, and you have two daughters, Ivy and Ellie. Yes. I know Ellie is learning the piano. Do, do they have any other inclinations towards music? Well, my, my eldest is a composer. Oh, she, excuse Ivy's us. Photo, uh, she has a few videos, so she composes... I don't know where this child came from with this talent. <laughs> I, I know what to do with her. She was been composing since she was five. Yeah. I mean, pieces that, like Liberace, you know, and she has a wonderful uh, teacher too, Tony Regina in LaGrange. Um, but she copied his style and delivery, and she is, she composes, she's a beast. I don't know what to do with her. And my youngest, she plays 
Uh, no, well, Ivy plays the piano and the guitar, and whatever instrument she feels like playing, she picks it up and she just goes for That's it. That's it. You know, she's not afraid. She's fearless. Yes, you know? I love um, that. And 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 my you know, youngest is a little bit more diverse. You know, she plays the piano, she reads the music, mm-hmm. and she's also she's very creative. She draws and she has a vegan channel and she creates recipes and she has her own YouTube channel and you know, I love that. She's, She's she's definitely not a friend. I know they get fearlessness from uh, me and and her father, where we we just try anything, you know, in anything creative, we will try it. But um, yeah, she 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 is very busy. Her mind is always creating. I Both love that. Very um, different like that. They never they not they never came to me and said, "Mommy, I'm bored." No, they they'll find something to do because yeah. you know if if mom can be this resourceful, we have no excuse. <laughs> and raising right. children, <laughs> right? So they never said we don't have nothing to do. Never, ever. I like that. So so now when we think of you know being a parent, just being a child, and what a gift that your children can can just be inspired at home. They never had to look outward to be inspired. But as a mother, you know, you're gifted with the opportunity to raise and inspire our future. How have they, in return, inspired you? <laughs> they have inspired me tremendously. Um, they have inspired me because I want them to be greater. You know, as a parent, that's natural. You want your parents, sure. you want your children to be better. They have inspired me to leave them something, to leave them, you know, more than just the typical, you know, trust fund, you know, or something like that. It's not just monetary. Yeah. But leaving them something like, wow, my mother did this. Yeah. My mother did that. My mother was this. She was that. And I took that from her. Yeah. I'm like that too. Yeah. You know, as far as their what they fulfill in their life. Did did they did having children inform you any differently musically anyway after you've had children? Well, I didn't know because um, I didn't really learn who I was musically until after my first daughter. Yeah. I was, right. you know, I was still growing, and and because of music, you know, music is a cycle, you know. Right. <laughs> and, I, you know, and one week I'm sounding like this, and the next week I'm sounding like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I could spend a whole year where my whole my the focus of my music is gospel. So yeah. Everything is gospel, and then next year everything I write sounds like Sade. You know. Yeah. So, um, having children didn't really change the, my my creative. Uh, direction it just i wanted to give it to them though i yes. wanted them to have that they have it but they they, they, they they're not, look they're composing they music they're playing music yeah yeah they don't see it creating you know a lot a lot of young people a lot of grown people that i meet they are so afraid they yes. want to do it but they're so afraid to let people hear them no my kids were doing their own shows as soon as they could talk as soon as they could sing they wanted to show off yeah I got a song, I got a poem, I got a book, <laughs> I got a recipe. They were never afraid to showcase their creativity. And that's something that they, I'm sure that they picked up. Yes. So so now, Eve, you know, we're running out of time. Thank you so very much, by the way, for sharing just a smidget of your story and your insight with us. For anyone... For anyone looking to find you, obviously, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, not just at Eve Soto Music, that's E-V-E-S-O-T-O-M-U-S-I-C, but you also have Ready to Sing, right? Ready to Sing.net. You're Ready to Sing on YouTube, your iTunes, Amazon, and Google Play as well. And, and, and All you're, one word. What was that? All one word. All one word, Ready to Sing. You guys know how to spell. I want to leave us with another song. I know you dedicated a song recently um, to help raise money for the homeless. Yes. Why is is devoting your time and energy, maybe not to just this cause, but to any cause, so important to you? I mean, obviously, we want to use music. It's more than just spreading joy. Sometimes it's a tool of awareness, right? 
yes, it's a, it's a tool of awareness. Of course, anything. Like I said, my singing. I I don't want it. It's never. I don't want it to be just about my voice. Yeah. I always wanted to have another purpose. It, it, that's why it took me so long to do an album. I'm like, what I need to do an album for? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I, you know, if I'm not singing for a purpose, I just I don't know. I think the, the purpose is all about. It, it's it's it lives long after you do. Yeah. If you teach, there's so many children that I've worked with who have brought me their kids. Children that I trained in in 2000 or in, in 98 yeah. were now bringing me their children. I love so that. The point is, whatever long after I'm gone, whatever I did, it'll, it'll still be there. Yeah, it's, it's, for other generations you know, to share with their children. You know, Eve was our teacher. Eve was your grandmother's teacher. Eve was your Eve Soto did this with, with you when you were little. Or a child will remember Eve Soto gave me confidence. Eve Soto helped me get on stage. Eve so they'll remember that. So I don't want you to think it's so I'm so I got this halo over my head where I'm so, you know, oh we are the world. No, it I know that that is a wonderful feeling when you know that long after you hear that little seven year old is gonna remember you. I love that. That's great. Thank you so very much, Eve Soto. And thank you guys for listening. You've been listening to the Junket Jam Hour. For everything Junket Jam, just go to junketjam.com. For everything we do here, radiofreebrooklyn.com. This is Eve Soto with Like I Love You. Hey, I'm Eve Soto, also known as your vocal coach. And I'm dedicating the song and the video, Like I Love You, to help raise money for homeless women. I hope you like it. me mm-hmm.